Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hey, welcome back, good saints. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Today we are going to look at the third installment in the creation ordinance of marriage and procreation, and this is actually going to be the last installment on this particular topic. And it's not that we've exhausted things to say, but I think what we have covered so far and what we'll cover today will provide us with a very adequate foundation upon which to build, and it hopefully will give you some ideas and some some concepts that you can apply to your to your marriage and to how you think about society in general and why marriage is such a critical and crucial aspect of society. Let's go ahead and take a look now at why God um, established marriage. So God established marriage. One of the primary reasons that God established marriage, we discussed procreation, um, but you don't need to be married to procreate. But one of the primary reasons that God established marriage, perhaps the primary reason, is that it is the means of relationship between male and female. It is the primary avenue by which a man relates to a woman and they have a relationship with one another. And so marriage, in a very real sense, fulfills our basic need for companionship. You see, when God created Adam, Adam had the opportunity to look at all the other animals and name them on day six of the garden, or while he was in the garden. And while he named all those animals, he found that something was not right. And what did he find that was not right? He found in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 2, that there was not a helper suitable for him. He did not find a helper suitable for him amongst all the animals that he named. And I believe we've touched on this a little bit in the past so far. But I want to explore this concept because this is the concept of companionship. And this is the real reason that God established marriage, that there would be a helpmate suitable for Adam. And he didn't bring Adam a dog. He didn't bring Adam some other animal. He took Adam and put him to sleep, and he performed a surgery on him. And out of the man, God created a woman. And this, when God brought the woman to Adam, this communicates to us what God's original and primary purpose is for a man and a woman to be together, that they would have a great companionship relationship. So the woman needs the man, and the man needs the woman. They belong to one another. Now, it's very important to understand companionship as the primary purpose purpose or the primary reason for a serious relationship between male and female. 
And you have to think about this differently than we think about it in a Western context. In our Western context, we often think like, I can have friendships with girls. I can have friendships with women. Um, or if you're a girl, you may be thinking, I can have friendship with boys, no big deal. The reality is the friendship that I have with a woman is very different than friendships that I cultivate with other men. And those friendships inevitably lead to deep feelings of affection. And that's natural. God designed it that way. And so if you are a, a single person, then you need to be very careful and conscientious about how you establish friendships with members of the opposite gender. Because in God's, and according to God's plan and purpose, it's God's design that as you create friendship, that naturally leads to something deeper, a strong affection. And this is why as a married individual, whether you are a married woman or a married man, you should notice that your friendships with members of the opposite sex deteriorate as you proceed in your married life, as you grow in your married life. Uh, for example, when I was uh, single, I was in college, I had uh, friends who were female and we had good friendships. And But when I got married, those friendships really dissolved. They disappeared. Um, I don't really have those anymore. And now as a married man, I am very careful and conscientious about how I develop friendships with women because I understand that friendship leads to affection and affection leads to, you know, other desires, desires that would be ungodly for me to pursue because I'm a married person. I'm, I need to develop friendship and have that need for companionship fulfilled by my wife. Now, this isn't to say that I can't be friends with women. It's not to say that if you're a woman, you can't be friends with a man. But it is to say that if you are a married person, then you need to be very careful not to develop deep friendships with uh, people of the opposite gender that you are. Um, God has designed men and women to relate to one another and to be one another's companion. And that, the appropriate context for that is marriage. And so, you know what? I, I have some great friends who are ladies, um, but I'm better friends with their husbands. And my wife, she is really good friends with those ladies. But, you know, she's only, you know, she, she has good relationships with the husbands, but they're not as deep as mine. And that's the way it should be. Your deepest friendships as a married individual should be with members of your own gender after you have cultivated a deep relationship and a deep friendship with your spouse. So my closest friend is my spouse. My next closest friends are men, uh, men who are important to me in my life and who are significant to me. And then the relationship or the friendships I have after that are are. Um, they're, they're, they're not unimportant, 
but they are definitely lower on the scale. And I hope this makes sense to you. Uh, because what God has designed is for men and women to fulfill their need for companionship within a marriage. And so if you don't fulfill your need for companionship within your marriage, then you're going to look for that outside of your marriage, and that is going to compromise your marriage. Your goal, okay, in your marriage relationship should be that your spouse is your best friend. Your spouse ought to be your best friend. And I know a lot of people, um, maybe not a lot of people, I know some people who are very close to their children. They have great relationships with their children, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you need to remember that the childbearing and the child-rearing years are often far shorter than the years that you will be married to your spouse. And so there is a there is a closeness that is generated because of the amount of time that you spend together. And we observe this in culture. You know, when you see a couple that's been married for a long time, like 35 years, 45 years, you're like, boy, they really act like one another. They, you know, they're very similar to one another. You're like, yeah, of course. Well, they've, they've developed these habits and they've cultivated this relationship and it has permeated every part of their life. And of course, they're like each other. Of course, they're companions. They have a close relationship, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And God designed that. Now, what this relationship between a man and a woman also produces are appropriate roles and functions. So not only does the marriage relationship produce companionship and provide companionship, but it produces appropriate roles and functions. There's a reason that Eve is called the helpmate, and it's not a degrading or degenerative reason. Adam is called the head, or Adam is called the, the head of household for several specific reasons. The first reason is that he was made first. Um, typically, things that are made first um, have a place of prominence or a place of importance. And this is not to say that Eve is unimportant because she's fantastically important. She is essentially important. But Adam is important in terms of responsibility over his wife. So he was made first. And then secondly, Adam is the head or the leader because Eve came from him. Adam was made from the dust of the ground. But Eve was made from the rib of Adam. And that's significant because it shows the natural order between male and female. And not that, not that women are inferior to men. When we talk about natural order, we need to be careful not to think that women are inferior to men. But when we talk about natural order, it means that which is created first has a higher priority, and then that uh, which is created from something else then also has a, a lower priority than the thing that it was taken from. And again, we're not using the word priority to determine value or worth. We're using it to determine leadership and headship. That's how God uses it. 
And so, especially like in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Colossians 1.16, when uh, Paul writes that Christ was first over all creation, it means that he has priority over all creation. He is the head of all creation. He has authority over all creation. Not that um, being first somehow makes him the best, although Christ is the best, right? In, in a lot of ways, Christ is the best. He was the perfect man. He was the perfect sacrifice. But that's not how we're talking about it here. And so we need to be careful not to read our Western assumptions into the biblical text. The fact that Eve came from man just demonstrates, it's a demonstration that she is second in command, not first in command. And finally, Adam is the leader um, in the household because he is the one who is responsible to leave his father and mother and to be joined to his wife. See, if you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, who is the command? There's a command there. Who is it to? Okay. Who is it to? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The very interesting and fascinating thing about this verse is that in, the, in our Western wedding ceremonies, in the wedding ceremonies of the Western culture, we place a lot of emphasis on the bride. And here, in the biblical text, the emphasis is placed on the husband. He has a particular responsibility, and the responsibility is to leave his father and his mother. That means he is going to become independent of them. He is no longer going to be submitting to them. He is going to be creating a new household. And how does he create a new household? He leaves his father and his mother, and he's joined to his wife. And then what is the assumption? that the two of them will procreate and bear children. They will be fruitful and multiply, and then they will have their own household. So who's responsible for creating the household? It's not the wife, right? It doesn't say, for this reason, a woman will leave her father and her mother and be joined to her husband. No, it's the other way around. A man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the responsibility to create an independent family unit is given to the man and to the man alone. So husbands, let me just jump in here with a quick point of application. Husbands, if you are allowing your parents to steer the direction of your marriage relationship and your family relationship, you are acting disobediently to God's original intention and to the Word of God. It's not wrong to ask your parents for advice, but it is wrong. It is wrong to allow your parents to steer your family. That is your responsibility and your job exclusively. And I know that um, what we are touching on here is a bit of the debate between the complementarian perspective and the egalitarian perspective on male and female relationships. We at the chapel, at the Grace Brethren Chapel, are complementarian in how we view male and female roles. Uh, complementarian means that uh, man and woman 
are created equally in the image of God. They have intrinsic value and worth that is the same because they are created equally in the image of God. But the role and function that they perform with in the household is different because God has given men and women different roles to perform within the household. Now, the the egalitarian view says, yes, of course, we agree. Men and women are equal. Uh, they are intrinsically valuable. They have intrinsically the same worth. And because they are equal and because they have the same worth, the roles and functions that they do are interchangeable. So it doesn't matter what role a husband has or is supposed to have or what role a wife is supposed to have. Uh, those things can be and possibly should be interchangeable according to the egalitarian perspective. Uh, there, there's a lot that you could say about this. In fact, many volumes have been written about complementarianism and egalitarianism. Um, I would recommend you check out www.cbmw.org if you want to learn more about this particular issue. Um, I will let you know that they do hold to a complementarian perspective on it, but they have articles that um, discuss both perspectives. So, what have we discussed so far? The main point in what we are talking about is that God established marriage as the primary means of relationship between male and female. And the first Re, the first um, aspect of that relationship is marriage fulfills our need for companionship. Secondly, marriage establishes appropriate roles and functions. And now third, marriage is supposed to be, okay, supposed to be exclusive and permanent. According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, the one fleshed bond forms an unbreakable union. All right. When you marry your spouse, you take them for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death parts you. Okay, it is death that must part you, not some other thing like irreconcilable differences. Now you say, well, that's all well and good, but what if I have a, a spouse who cheats on me? What if I have a spouse who abandons me? What if I have a spouse who does, you know, some other thing to me? Well, there, there are two God-given exceptions to the unbreakable bond of marriage. Now, let's, let's just talk first, before we get to the exceptions, about why the marriage bond is to be unbreakable. The marriage bond is to be unbreakable because when you create this one flesh union, that is a special union that involves the most intimate aspect of your body, of your being. God designed that one flesh union to connect you not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally with another person. That's why sexual relationship is supposed to be protected. It's supposed to be enjoyed only within the context of marriage and only with the person you are married to because of the uniqueness and the, the design of that relationship, you don't want to be having that type of relationship with a whole bunch of other people. Now, I understand 
that, I mean, literally for centuries, for centuries, thousands of years even, mankind has been uh, promoting promiscuity, prostitution, and other forms of sexual expression that are outside of the bounds of marriage. And, and they have been promoting it and saying, you know what, this is what really sets you free. This is what makes you feel good. This is your greatest enjoyment and your highest fulfillment. Do you know what? Studies have demonstrated that the highest suicide rates are amongst those who are belong to the LGBT community, especially the T part of that community. The next highest group of suicide rates are people who um, practice sexual deviancy as a regular form of, of life because it is empty and unfulfilling. And when you give away the best part of yourself to dozens or even hundreds of people, uh, that, that's, there's no fulfillment in that. There's no lasting joy. There's no bond that's given. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that to um, join yourself to a prostitute is to sin against your own body. And so why is marriage this exclusive and permanent bond? Because of the power of the one flesh union. Now, I did tell you that I would discuss the two exceptions to when the one flesh union and the permanency of marriage can be broken. In the scriptures, in Matthew 19 again, we find that there is an exception that makes divorce allowable. And the first exception, and it's given by Jesus himself, is for unfaithfulness, namely and specifically adultery. So if adultery occurs within a marriage, that is a violation of the one flesh union, And Jesus says that because of that violation, the injured party has the right to divorce if they desire. Now, they don't have to divorce, but the injured party has the right to pursue that if they so desire. And so uh, divorce obviously was not something that God originally wanted to happen, but because of sin and the effects of sin in the world, God had to create a a law or a means to protect those who would be injured in the case of marital infidelity. And divorce is one of the ways that those who are injured due to adultery are protected. The second exception that we find in the scriptures is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 15 where Paul writes that if you are a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever, and your spouse decides to abandon you, that means your spouse leaves the marriage, then you have the opportunity or the freedom to divorce that individual. Now, I think that Paul's assumption, and I think it's a good assumption, it's one that we also ought to make, is that if you are abandoned in your marriage, then the person who abandoned you will be off uh, fulfilling their sexual desires with another person. So very, very rare is the case that a spouse gets abandoned by an unbeliever and the person who did the abandoning is living a 
celibate lifestyle. That's not what's happening. They are finding a way to satisfy their sexual desires. And so, yes, there's this abandonment, but there's also the adultery. And so really, I think both things are true in that particular situation and scenario. And why did that come about? Well, that came about because of how individuals in society become Christians. You, you could be two unbelievers living together, and one of you hears and responds to the gospel, and it changes your life. And, and then the other one's like, ah, I'm not doing any of this. I don't want the gospel. I'm rejecting Christ, and I'm rejecting Christ to the extent that I am abandoning this marriage, and I am going to go find somebody else to spend my life with. And so those are the only two reasons for divorce that are allowable or approved by God in the scriptures. Marriage is one of the most fundamental building blocks of society. And if you want to look at fixing our society, you say, well, what's wrong with America? What's wrong with America is the fact that we promote sexuality and sexual expression without any responsibility in marriage. We also have made it so incredibly easy for two people who are married to divorce one another and to um, break off their marriage. And then you have a whole bunch of shambles after that. I mean, you have children in shambles, you have family units left in shambles, you have all these mixed um, relationships, and, and it's very difficult and confusing to figure out. And that's why I think there's a whole generation of people who have grown up and they're disillusioned with marriage. You know, hey, if marriage is going to be so bad, if marriage is just going to end in divorce, why, why would I even want to get married? And the effects of the destruction of marriage are so weighty upon our society. I, I don't even know that we could, I don't even know that we could understand it all unless God were to really pull back the curtain and help us to see how devastating the effects of the abandonment of marriage really are. I can tell you, well, no, I'm not going to go into any more detail on that. I'm just going to leave it right there. Maybe that would be a good future episode. I might, might do that sometime in the future and just talk about the effects of the abandonment of marriage. Know this, though, as you finish up listening to this episode that marriage is a great blessing and marriage is the primary means for men, for a man and a woman to relate to one another. So if you want companionship in life, if you want to have children, if you want to do what is right and good for society at large, get married. Get married in the Lord. Seek marriage. And again, it's not wrong if you're single. Uh, there are a few people, Jesus said, who have been given the gift of singleness. But truly, the greatest blessing that you could be to society, to your local church, is to get married and to be fruitful and multiply for that is an obedience to the creation ordinance of God. All right, well, we'll be back in two weeks with the next creation ordinance. I, I think next week I'm going to do a special New Year's message, uh, a New Year's challenge, rather, because we are going to be ringing in 2022. So God bless you. May your Christmas season be fruitful. 
and full of the grace and peace that comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord.